0: Good morning, take your Bibles please and open to the book of 1st John, 1st John chapter 5. We're going to start at the back of the book this morning, we're in a series on the love of God for us and our response is to love Him as we are loved by Him. We're going to start at the back of the book, we're going to work our way up to 1st John chapter 2, but the back of the book brackets the book, just like the beginning of the book, so the book comes all the way back around and it emphasizes the same idea in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And here is the testimony of God about Himself. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, here it is. And the testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have the life. The life is eternal life in Jesus Christ. It is life without end. And if we really want to live this eternal life, then it includes living life right now that we would confess our faith in this Jesus who is presented to us in his gospel and here again in first john this jesus who died who's raised so that you and i are forgiven of sin and we share a life that is eternal and it is in his presence but let's remember it includes right now the presence of the spirit of god within Jesus Christ with us, Emmanuel, God the Father disclosing who He is, and that's what we find this morning, what it means, what it looks like to really live. We're going to look this morning in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, as we look at signs of life. In other words, sometimes you and I look at what the Bible has to say, and we see how distant we might feel from that actually occurring in our life, and we wonder, do I really know Him? So this morning, we're going to take an exam. We're going to look at some questions so that you and I can be honest with God about who we are and about ourselves. Before I became a pastor, in another lifetime, (laughs) a long time ago... I taught school, and as a teacher, I, I was expected to evaluate student mastery of of the assigned subjects. I I never gave true or false tests. I never gave multiple choice exams, unless required by some outside influence because of placement requirements for the next year. I didn't give them to students because I didn't like to take them as a student. So I would get to a true-false exam and quiz, and I would look at the options, and I would say, they're both true, which, of course, is false. They can't, in the mind of the teacher, both be true, and then you would go to the multiple choice test, and you would see, okay, there are four options. Two of them are ludicrous. All right, so now I'm a little closer to the right answer, but then I look at all the contingencies and all the exceptions and all the what-ifs, and I think, why can't I just write an essay? Then you'll know a little bit of what I know, and perhaps you'll be able to inquire and discover what I don't know. I want to write the essay. This morning, John takes us to school. That's right. And he gives us, in his exams... Two options. And we think about contingencies and what ifs, and you think about, oh, no. So we see that John uses extremes. He thinks, as some people have described it, in a binary way. It's A or B. It's either or. You can't be both. This is either true of you or this is true of you. And the consequences are astronomical. They're huge. They're, they're, they're massive for us. Examples. Last week. How do you walk? You got two options. You can walk in the light, you can walk in the dark. That's what he says. In other places, we either love, I mean, that's one option, or we hate. Whew, that's intense. Either we keep his commandments or we. Disobey His commandments. Either we know God or we don't know God. He gives us again and again throughout these five short chapters two opposites. And there is a purpose to it. And the purpose is so that we will wake up. So that we'll do an honest internal eval. It's intended to evoke in us a response so that we don't do the true-false or the multiple-choice. Instead, our response is in essay form. It is who God is and what He's done and what we believe about Him. And it's intended to evoke this response so that these words... It's going in and out here, Tom so that these words would disrupt us for a good purpose and encourage us for a good purpose so that we would draw near to the person and ways of Jesus Christ. You and I, if we know Jesus Christ, share life with Christ. You guys forgive me a minute. I think my mic has just popped loose. I got it, Krista, I think. You'll find out, won't you? (laughs) All right, let's take and go to 1 John, chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. For saying, I don't have it, Krista. I'm going to need your help. You guys, we're going to put this on pause for just a minute. It's one of the hazards of doing what I do. Wow, thank you. There you are. Yeah, to to do her job, you have to be willing to uh, rescue people in front of other people. All right, 2, 1 through 11, three signs of life with God. The first sign is in verses 1 and 2, and it's this, sign of life. And it's this, when we trust the sufficiency and sacrifice of the crucified, risen Jesus ...of the Bible. That's the first sign of life. And it is the foundation to all of life. We just sang about it. Do we rest in who He is... ...and His sacrificial love for us? He loves the Father. He loves us. He demonstrates the love of the Father... ...to us, in us, and through us. Do we rest in who he is and what he's done for us. His very first words of chapter two. They're endearing, they're affectionate, they're they're warm. I mean he's got a relationship with the people to whom he's writing and talking. He says, My that's a personal, my little children. As as developing followers of Jesus Christ, some perhaps deeper into their journey of following Jesus, some perhaps on the front end of following Jesus, but it's a relational warmth, and it's a kindness, and it's a gentleness, and that helps us know his motives in saying what he says, because some of the things he says make us flinch or sit back or recoil. We go, oh, oh, did he just say that? But here we see his motive, and it is true truth for the good of those he loves, Check out chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Our forgiveness or our salvation in Christ... The work he did for us, it includes the forgiveness of sin. But it includes more than forgiveness. I mean, forgiveness is big time important. I mean, you and I need to do backflips and celebrate and clap and applaud and thank God for the forgiveness that we have in Christ. But he's writing this little book. Partly the purpose is so that the follower of Jesus will not sin. If we were to reread the last part of chapter 1 and the first two verses of chapter 2, we would see sin repeated eight times. Why? We have a sin problem. We'd rather not talk about it. We'd rather dodge, deny, redefine. reality is, all of us, each of us, we have a sin problem. John writes, describes at the end of chapter 1, that when we sin, we confess, repent, turn back to Him. That it's a lifestyle. Repentance is not a one-time and then I don't have to do it anymore. Repentance and confession are our regular lifestyle of the follower of Jesus Christ, 1 John 1, 1.8 and 1.10, both, if you were to reread, they, they just sin as a reality. If we say that we haven't, then we've lied or we're in denial. And so here there's this lifestyle of confession and repentance. It's pretty clear by now that in the mess of our broken humanity, we still have a sin problem. It's not gone away. We're not exempt. We, we still struggle with temptation to sin, and sometimes we cave in to that temptation. Thus, confession, repentance, forgiveness of sin, we have all sinned. And guess what? We're going to struggle with sin until we are in the presence of Jesus Christ himself where there is no sin. And that's hard for me to imagine. What would that be like? I mean, what would it be like if we lived in a realm where there was no sin in anyone, anywhere? It's forgiven, it's eradicated, it's wiped away. We're in the presence of God. And that's the future of everyone who is a legit follower of Jesus Christ. Sin is not God's idea. It violates God's person and more. It violates, distorts God's creation, the image of God in us. So we know this, that when we sin, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not God's intent. When he created us, it damages us. It damages those that we love. And when we know Jesus Christ, he makes it possible for us not to sin. By saying yes to his commands and his spirit activates within us. But if, he writes here, but if anyone sins and we will. He's talking on the one hand about a lifestyle of sin by those who reject the God of the Bible and his son Jesus Christ and a sin that a believer commits in disobedience to God in the moment. And when we blow it, he says in verse 1 if anyone sins we have an advocate with the father look at who the advocate is and the language used to describe our advocate he is jesus savior he is christ sent from the father to give his life for us and he is jesus christ the righteous he is without sin he is pure and perfect and right in every way tempted in all things as we are yet without sin he became our sin so that he he died our death he is our advocate And he is our advocate, God the Son, advocate with the Father, so that Jesus Christ represents us before God the Father. He keeps us. (laughs) So that when we sin, he speaks up for us. It's as if we belong to him. And he's not going to let us go. Nothing is going to take us out of his hand even our present actions and thoughts. We are forgiven by God in and through this Jesus. And in verse 2, we find this big word and, and a yet bigger idea. It's a word that we don't use in everyday language. Verse 2, He Himself. You see the emphasis. He repeats who He is. He Himself. This is Jesus. He is the righteous. He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation big time work what does it mean it means that Jesus died for our sins that's what it means a lot of discussion about what it means in the original language and the intent bottom line this it means that Sin has a cost And a cost of sin is death And Jesus Christ died that death And He took our place And He satisfied all of the consequences That come with our sins So that we can be forgiven of sin So this refers to the death of Jesus for us So that He gave His life for us So that you and I can be forgiven of sin We can have the Spirit of God And the Word of God So that now this is true This is possible When tempted Now we got a choice. You know you're tempted. You know what what you want. And you feel weak. So we have a choice. And that choice is to say yes or no. To what will we say yes? And to be filled with the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, when it talks about being filled with the Spirit and throughout the New Testament, is to say yes to the Word of God and obedience to God in the moment. It's amazing whenever we say yes to Him and step toward Him, the reaction and experience that we have. So that none of us is going to live a sinless life the rest of our life. But all of us have, within us, from God, the ability to not sin. So that Jesus Christ forgives, it's His life that you and I are forgiven, but His life also transforms us. So that what traps us doesn't have to trap us. We're forgiven of sin, but in and through His death for us, we are released from the power of sin so that we are enslaved to it and that we have to do it. So you and I are indebted to this Jesus, Jesus Christ, the righteous that's a sign of life to rest in who He is and what He's done. When we strive outside of Him and we think we got to earn God's uh, approval in order to be accepted by Him and forgiven by Him, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this is who Jesus is, this is what Jesus has done for us, this is how to know Him, and this is how to know God, and it's not on us. It's on Him. So we step toward Him in faith to who He is, second sign of life. When God's love compels us to become more like Jesus Christ. 1 John. 1 John 2, 3-6. We can know that we know God. We can know that we know God. The question for each of us is, do we know God or do we not know God? A or B. Two extremes. We either do or we don't. If we don't, if we do. The latter option, if we don't know God, if it's absolutely terrifying to us. If it's like a bad dream from which we wake up and we breathe a sigh of relief and we think, it was just a dream. I do know God. Then these words comfort us. Some people wake up from the bad dream and we don't know if we know God. And these words are incredibly disturbing and they're intended to be disturbing. But if we wake up and want to know that we know God, these words can show us how we can know God. How can we know we know God? Verse 3. By this... We know that we have come to know Him. If we keep His commandments, so the good news is we can know that we know Him, but the question is, oh, no. What is this keeping His commandments thing? Because I I know I haven't kept all of His commandments. I mean, I just... I mean, I confess. I repent. I turn back to Him. And I haven't kept all of his commandments. So what is this about? Do we keep his commandments or do, do we not keep his commandments? Again, two options, A or B. If we feel the weight of our disobedience, that's the point. Feel the weight. Let it disturb you. Let it take you to the one who is merciful and gracious and kind and the one who offers forgiveness so that if when we... Or honest with God, can we see the times and the moments when we have not obeyed His commandments? Do we want to obey? That's a good sign. Do we intend to hear? Do we want to hear? Do we want to hear His voice? Truth is this. There is only one person who has fully kept all the commandments of God. And he was just introduced. As Jesus Christ, the righteous. He has done what we cannot do. So rest in what he has done for us. When we know God through faith in Jesus Christ, he gives us new desires and new loves. We become, in and through faith in Jesus, a new creation. God discloses who he is. Jesus Christ alone is sufficient for our salvation. Our salvation is not earned, that's not what John is saying, is not earned by keeping God's commands. But when we truly know Jesus, we show signs of life with Jesus. Dr. John Mitchell, founding president of Multnomah, wrote We are Christians or we who are Christians have a yearning for fellowship with God. Is that true of us? Do we have a yearning? to partner with Him, to connect with Him, to be nourished in Him and through Him? Do we have an internal, innate longing, this yearning? We want to serve, he says, the Lord's will. Do we want that at our core? Is that a part of who we are? Forget about failure. Forget about all that other stuff. Do we want to do what He wills and what He says? He goes on. He says, we want to be found Obedient. To, do we want to be found, discovered as obedient to him? And then Mitchell closes with that very thing, my friend, is one of the evidences we belong to him. It's a sign of life. That you and I have that yearning and have that longing. It reminds me of the words of Jesus in John ten twenty seven: My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. (laughs) And they follow me. I mean, He knows you. And we can follow him. He shows us who he is. He shows us how to live. He tells us what he loves and values so that he can be the object of our love so that we can love him in return. So let's listen to the voice of Jesus. And in the moment, right now, here where we are, we have life. It's eternal life, but we have life here. It's not life delayed, it's life right now. So, that's a sign of life. In contrast is verse 4. If we say that we know Jesus and as a lifestyle refuse to follow him... We refuse to keep His commandments so that on the one hand, those who love Him keep His commandments and those who don't, a sign of their darkness and of their rejection is that willfully they lie about their faith and it begins this pattern at the beginning of verse 4. Actually, we saw it last week that if someone says, all right, that's my lips, that's my tongue, if I say, if I communicate one thing externally about my relationship with God and do the opposite as a lifestyle. Then we come to verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in us. Now, that's the bad dream. Do we obey Jesus? Do we believe in Him? Are we convicted of sin? Because if we're convicted of sin... That's good. <laughs> if, if we are convicted of sin and then we confess our sin in repentance, turning to Him from our sin, that's a commandment. Do we do that? That is the keeping of His teaching, His truth, what He says. So let's ask, do we say one thing? Are there signs of life within? So that when we say yes to the person and commands of Jesus, here's the more that we're just about to see. We become more like Him when we hear His voice and when we say yes to Him. So that our life is a life of transformation, so that by God's grace, we're not the person that we were five years ago or ten. And by God's grace, we're not the person we're going to be tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. So that you and I can embrace the truth of 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. Whoever keeps his word... In Him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know we are in Him. We can know that we know Him. In verse 5, don't, don't stumble over the word perfected. None of us are perfect. If we think we are, <laughs> we're wrong. All of us in here are in process... And the word perfected, in, in my translation, simply means complete. That we're growing. That we're increasingly more like Jesus Christ. God loves us. That's what it says in 1 John four nineteen. But the love here is our love for God. So we can say in verse 5, for the love of God. <laughs> my love for him. And what does it say about our love for Him? That because we love Him and obey Him, we become more like Him. We're made complete. We are maturing. We're growing. We're thriving in Christ. That's one way we know that we know Him. Is that we respond to His love for us by loving Him in reply and in return. So, Jesus gives us the strength to obey Him. He says, Abide in Him. That's to remain. What does remain mean? It means to lean toward Him, to trust Him, to rest in who He is, to plug our umbilical cord into Him from the heart that we would resonate with who He is, that we would treasure what He says. That we would believe him to the point of action, that we would abide or remain in him. But there's a third sign of life in this passage, and in some ways, it's the hard part. Because in verse 5, it it says that for the love of God. Well, God is is quite lovable, and Jesus is quite lovable, but after that, (laughs) who is? All of us have issues and stuff and things and accoutrements and baggage and things that are characteristic of us. But here's the third sign of life, and it's this. When we love our brothers and sisters in Christ like God loves us. That's 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Keeping God's commandments is a sign of life. The verse, first word in verse 7 is a sign of life. I read verses 7 and 8. Let me begin in verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. That's becoming like Christ. And then the first word in verse 7 is, we would say it this way. I love you. Again relationship, motive, incentive. I love you. And then he says, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. There is this warmth. I love you. They are little children. My little children. So these words come from a heart of love. He's not making these words up. These are words that God commands. But what does God command? Well, there's an old commandment and there is a new commandment. Well, in Matthew chapter 22, somebody comes up to Jesus and asks him a question. And that is, how would you sum up the law? Well, that's the Old Testament. And so Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's been a wave. That's been a theme that has rolled. It has roared all the way through the Old Testament. So to love God and love others is nothing new. God created us to love him and he created us to love others. That's his intent. So that's the commandment. That's not new. It shouldn't ambush us. It shouldn't surprise us. But there is a new commandment. And the new commandment is what? Jesus said, John 13, what does he say? A new commandment I give to you, 1334. A new commandment I give to you, here it is, that you love one another just As I have loved you. Boom. Old commandment, new commandment. You see any difference? Here's the difference Jesus Christ. He embodied the commandments, He showed us what it looks like, He spoke the commandments. He died for the sins we commit when we disobey God's command. So there is a loving. 1 John four nineteen. Look at it later. Memorize it. It is one of the life-giving verses of the Bible. God loves us <laughs> so that we can love Him. So now you and I are objects of His love. We are recipients. We're Receivers. I mean, He's given us His love. He's loved us. He's chosen from within Himself to love. And you think about all the reasons why I'm unlovable. Guess what? There is someone who loves you. God loves you. And when you and I become followers of this Jesus, knowing and growing at a part of growth and maturity in our faith in following the Jesus of the Bible, is that we would truly believe that He loves us. And He's not going to let go of us. And He's going to do what He intends in us where we are. So that we find our ultimate satisfaction and longing of the heart when we say yes to Him, when we know Him, and when we inhabit His commands. And His commands include going back to Him When we disobey His commands. He's got it all done for us so that we can love Him and live for Him in reply and in return. He says in these verses that this is the true love. Verse 8. It is true in Him. That means it's real. It's not fictional. It's not make-believe. It's not some story that we read in another book someplace, somewhere else. This is actual. It's true in Him and now in us. Why? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Darkness. We've already been introduced last week to darkness. We've been introduced to light. Darkness and light. Two choices. Two opposites. Darkness is not knowing God and light is knowing Jesus. The darkness... ...is right now in this world... ...but the darkness has an exit ahead of it. There is coming a time when there will be no darkness. That's what it means. Darkness is fading away. The rejection against the God of the Bible and His Son Jesus Christ... ...it's not for long. God is going to deal with it. God is going to return. He's going to send back His Son Jesus Christ... ...or we're going to go into His presence... ...and where He is, there is light... Meanwhile, we live here in the darkness, and he is light so that you and I can be his lights in a dark place. So he works his work in us so that now we're lights of heart, response, and love to who he is. And the darkness is passing away, he says in verse 8. But the true light, the actual, real, don't mistake it, light is already on fire. That's Jesus. So that who he is has already come so that you and I can know and experience this light. It's already bright and shining in the person of Jesus. Darkness. Two categories. Darkness, light. And if you're like me, last week as I was listening to darkness and light, I, I I thought of the times when in sin I was in darkness. And I thought of the times when, because of the grace and goodness of Jesus, I, I'm in light and I'm walking in the light. That's true of all of us. So John gives us two categories, darkness and light. But darkness, he tells us, has no place in the life of the believer. It is temporary. It fades. It will soon be gone. We have a life without end, an eternal life, in the presence of the Jesus who gave his life for us. So now we find what darkness looks like. John writes, he keeps coming back to his same subject. He's like a wedding photographer, you know, that kind of circles around trying to capture the whole party, and each time there's a different backdrop, there's a different connection, maybe a different person, but you look at it and you know, this is probably a wedding. That's the subject. Well, that's how he writes. He just starts something in the stream of consciousness and then he comes back around to it and then he comes back around to it. Well, now he's going to talk about darkness and what it looks like and love and what it looks like. So he's going to give a context to it that he hasn't given yet. So, verse 9. The one who says, remember that phrase? The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. Light, dark, dark. Love, hate. Which is it? So he says, do we hate our brother or sister? He's talking about people who love and follow Jesus Christ. People who are a part of the body of Christ. Who have a legit faith in who he is. That's the term that he uses here for brother, which includes a sister. So, do we hate our brother and sister. What is this hate? Well, it, he doesn't define it. It's, he defines it as the opposite of love. It gives us love, hate. This hatred is a toxic attitude directed toward other followers of Jesus and it's incompatible with the person and ways of Jesus. Hate our brother or sister? Welcome to the dark side. The contrast... The opposite, verse 10 and 11. You have them side by side. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Love thrives. In light, It abides in light, resides in light. We love because He first loved us and so that the love of God for us gives birth to our love for others. And He says here that that love does not cause another believer to stumble and fall. What is He not saying? He is not saying that when another person chooses to sin, it's our fault. He is saying That when we love another person, we're not going to trip them up. When I was in junior high, we played tackle football in cow pastures or any place where there weren't fences. And I learned from other boys how to tackle somebody from behind without going to the ground. I could just make them fall. And that is you run along behind them, you catch up with them, and when their foot and their heel comes up toward you, you lean down and you go poop. And their leg goes across their other leg and they're on their face. Now, we thought it was fun. But we were 13 years old and our brains hadn't grown yet. And in real life, though, it's not fun. Dog piles in real life now. Leave it for the 12-year-olds. Relationally, true love, real love, actual love doesn't put another on their face. And when they're on their face, true love, this kind of love, it doesn't dogpile. Two options, light, darkness, love, hate. Which is it? Well, if you're like me, you want to write an essay to answer that question. You want to evaluate internally the questions that John has just surfaced. You don't want to be glib. We want to, we want to be honest and, and humble. So I, I have three questions for our exam. In closing, first, do I love like the light? Do I love in light? How? Add that question. Write a response. What does that look like? In my heart response. Don't think about the person next to you. What What does that look like? Ask God. Answer it. Secondly, am I more like Jesus today than I was a year ago? Add the word how. Question. Can we see the Spirit of God active and working in our heart and our heart yielded to Him and see the fruit of the Spirit of God in who we are and what we do? It, it, Because we can find assurance in the power of God working in us and through us. Third question, do I trust in the sufficiency of Jesus who died for our sin and was raised to life to share life with us? Do I trust in him? Then write your testimony. John starts the book with a testimony. He ends the book with a testimony. And in between, maybe you and I should write our testimony or give voice to it. So that we speak to another. This is who I believe Jesus is. This is how I came to know and believe who Jesus is. And this is how I have experienced his person and his power in my life. It doesn't have to be long, but it can reflect the true attitudes and intentions of the heart. All of us, all of us live with the messy problem of sin. He paid for our sins so we can be forgiven of sin and share life with Him now and forever. I hope that's true of each of us. You bow with me, please. If you've never confessed your faith in this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, lived our life, died for us, our sin, raised to life, Freely forgives sin. Freely gives and shares life with God. If you've never confessed your faith in Him, now's the time to do so. I encourage you to talk to God and confess your belief and conviction in Jesus. And if you do that, tell someone. If you're not sure what to do, talk with someone you know knows Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for making yourself known to us, that we can know you and that we can know that we know you. Thank you for forgiveness and thank you for life and thank you for your power working in us and through us to your glory and for the good of others. In the name of Jesus, amen.